Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. So we did a thing on the last podcast that I think really got some traction. The last episode. Do you know it, what this is, Wheeler? Yeah, we got something started, I think. Uh, you know, all we did was have the conversation. Well, it wasn't just the conversation. But it got something started. Yeah, I mean, it was a conversation about where to have bourbon, where the best bourbon is. And then <laughs> our listeners, if they really paid attention, will know that you really enjoyed yours because you finished your whiskey flight before any of us did. It was tasty and stuff. And you got to be Mr. Giggly, man, for the whole last half of the podcast. I only I, I only giggled when things were genuinely funny. Like uh, I I heard things in that podcast I hadn't heard before. Uh, little sayings that I'm going to steal, by the way. But uh, it really did. You know, it was like a, a match got lit there. And before you knew it, this podcast just blew up all over the place. Uh, if if you didn't listen to it, you still could uh, right now while you're here. Uh, but it was Judge Whitley, the county judge in Tarrant County, where Fort Worth is located. Uh, coming out, he's a Republican, um, and he is uh, retiring from office uh, here in a couple of months. And he came out strong, saying he does not support uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick's bid for re-election uh, here in Texas. And you just don't hear stuff like that very often uh, here in Texas. And um, man, this thing got picked up everywhere. The next day, you see it blowing up uh, all over these other different news outlets uh, picking up on this. And then it started the, you know, one one foot uh, falls and then the next shoe and then the next shoe. And now we've heard of a couple of Republicans who are uh, not in support of Lieutenant Governor Patrick. So before we dive into that, let's dive into the fridge and uh, see what you're working with here today. I I know you probably did you you wait. You know what? You walked away with a bottle of whiskey last week from Acre Distilling Company in Fort Worth. Did you pour a splash? Well, that makes it sound like I took it. Um, I actually bought it. You paid it, for it. So, so I paid we, for we it. We got you home safely, so it's okay. Uh, yeah. But did yeah. you pour a splash and, and, to, uh, to, to start off this episode? I have not. Um, I, just in honor of the, the subject matter here and uh, how punches are being thrown within uh, the Republican Party right now, uh, here in Texas, I've decided to have a knockout. Wow. Uh, it is from Bitter Sisters. They call themselves Born in Oklahoma, Brewed in Texas. So it's a uh, Irish style red uh, ale. Uh, How about a you? very apropos selection? Um, I- I'm going with uh, something that I-, I figured that you would be drinking here. This is uh, Irish coffee cream ale. Oh, that sounds from good. Shannon Brewing Company, which Shannon is in uh, Keller, Texas, and uh, oh, yeah. Keller is in Tarrant County where this whole thing hmm. started. So, okay. let's so there's a tie yeah, there. there. That's not, good. Not as strong as yours, but uh, I, I, I don't drink coffee, but if it has alcohol, I'm, I might, I might try it a little bit. I never understand people who don't drink. Coffee. I limit my I vices. I limit my vices, my friend. Yeah. I mean, you've got plenty of others, <laughs> so you're probably right. You should, be, should keep it off the menu. Um, as you take a swig wow. of that there, how is it? It's like coffee. Wow. Okay. Uh, so that means you hate it no, or like it's, it? Um, no, it's a good beer. It's it's uh, you would okay. like it. Um, the cream ale is good. So, so you you know we're working the phones. I know earlier this week, and uh, you actually uh, touched base with uh, Kel Seliger, uh, who is the the latest Republican uh, who is in elected office here in Texas, to come out and say uh, I'm not going to support Dan Patrick. Uh, and he went further than that. He had a lot more than that to say. Uh, and we're going to hear from him here in just a few minutes. Yeah, so, you know, Glenn Whitley is is um, more of a buttoned up 
uh, you know, a little more formal of a uh, of an elected official, I would say, of a Republican. Kel Seliger is a Republican from Amarillo out in West Texas. I, I believe he might have been, uh, you know, mayor out there in Amarillo at one point years ago. Uh, but mm-hmm. he's a little more West Texas. He, he'll he'll tell you exactly what's on uh, on his mind. And he did that in an interview we're going to play for you here in a few minutes. And we also reached out to Mike Collier. You know, Mike Collier mm-hmm. has been at the receiving end of this. He needs the boost in his campaign. The latest polls show that he's five to six points behind uh, Dan Patrick. And that's how the 2018 race, the initial race between these two ended up. We also reached out to Dan Patrick. I'd love to talk to him about what he thinks about two conservatives who might not meet their definition of conservatism today. But two conservatives who have, uh, you know, walked away from Patrick. Now, Patrick, his office, his campaign manager essentially said that schedule's packed. Jason, sorry, we can't make time for you. Um, and then I think a day or so later, they, they put out uh, another press release that said, hey, we have an endorsement from a Democrat. A Democrat says that they're going to vote for hmm. Dan Patrick. And that Democrat is Eddie Lucio Jr., he represents like that, that wide swath of, uh, of South Texas between Corpus Christi down to Brownsville. And uh, Eddie Lucio Jr., for anyone who's watched any Texas politics for a while, uh, is a Democrat, but votes with Republicans a lot of times. So on the Democratic side, they're saying this is not a surprise, no love lost here. On the Republican side, on, on Patrick's side and his allies, they say, listen, Kel Seliger has, has not voted with me for a while now. And uh, Glenn Whitley, he and I have had our differences uh, over the years, too. So there's no love lost on either side. But regardless, anytime you have such a strong Republican figure like Dan Patrick in Texas and you have Republicans publicly saying they're walking away, that's that, that's news. That's headlines. And that's why the thing took off on social media the other day. OK, so uh, with all of that being said, uh, we do not have Dan Patrick on the podcast uh, this week. He doesn't have time for us. But. You know, if he's listening, uh, the invitation is wide open. Come on with us when you do have the time. You have time. You're going to find time at some point, uh, and we'd love to talk to you. We will uh, even get the whiskey out. But we will out hear from uh, Kel Seliger. We, what, we will you say? even get the whiskey out. Let's, let's just, you know. I, will. I yeah. will. I might even share. Uh, <laughs> that's not a guarantee, though. Uh, so we'll hear from Kel Seliger here in just a moment as well as uh, Mike Collier. But we want to start off today uh, just sort of getting the, the, the broader view of what does this mean when you start getting people, uh, you know, intra-party who start, you know, taking shots at some, uh, you know, high-level elected leaders here in Texas right before a big election. And we could think of nobody better to have on with us than the uh, editorial director for a, uh, a site called VoteBeat. Uh, if you haven't heard of VoteBeat, uh, this is a nonprofit news organization and they cover uh, voting and elections. And, and when I say that, they focus on how elections are run from, you know, the, the early voting to the day of voting, election security, the actual physical act of voting and, and dealing with voting. And uh, she is really plugged in, though, here in Texas. She is a native of Texas and she speaks with all kinds of politicians, uh, Republican, Democrat and, and somewhere in the middle as well. Uh, and so she's very well versed in in what's going on in state politics here. And so we got her on the line with us here. Her name is Jessica Hoosman uh, with Vote Beat, and uh, we want to pick her brain. Hey, today. Jessica, thanks for being here. Let's just start with a basic question. These headlines have been out there. That, you know, Glenn Whitley broke the news on our podcast here last week. Then Kel Seliger makes the announcement. This is something obviously Mike Collier's campaign wants. Dan Patrick's 
campaign has probably been a little disoriented with. But how big of a deal is this? What should we read into it? You know, I think I think that we should read something into it, right? I think that Dan Patrick is the most extreme version of republicanism in Texas. And I think it says something that Republicans are starting to pull back from that in the post-Trump era. I, I, it, it, it speaks to a, a, a trend that I see elsewhere in the country, that Republicans are not a lot of them, but some of them are starting to kind of reel back the extremism that they've dipped into in the last couple of years. Do, and do that's you, certainly what I see here. But do you think any of that's enough to make any kind of a difference in November? You know what? I don't know. I mean, you know, I think that it is it's important to note that elections have been grow, like closer and closer in margins in Texas lately. Like I certainly would, I don't I don't think that I, at this point I would call Texas a swing state, um, but it's it's like maroon maybe instead of purple um and so i i think that if it even if it doesn't work for the election this year right like even if dan patrick just wins again which he may well right i think that it is the beginning of a trend such that by 2024 2026 texas is looking at some shakeups Mm-hmm. Uh, so this all started on this podcast a week ago uh when we had glenn whitley on and and he disavowed uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick. Then we heard from Kel Seliger a couple of days later. Uh, is this one of those things where we can expect to see, you know, sort of that drip, drip momentum uh, continue to go like that when when a couple of people get courage to say something? Do we see more of that come or is that uh, unlikely? I mean, these these two men are both walking away from politics, too, which makes that a whole lot easier for them to do this. Right. I mean, that's that's the hard part about this. And 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 I think that this we saw this with Trump as well. Like the first people to denounce Trump's behavior were the people who were retiring or were otherwise not running for re-election, like Adam Kinzinger. Um and and so and and then the people who did denounce him, like Liz Cheney, were ultimately not re-elected. But I but I think that you know, having any Republican speak out against him at this point is really impactful. And and I think that. The reason I think that this is more significant than even the Republicans who are retiring or not running for re-election that spoke out against Trump is because Dan Patrick's policies are really having a negative impact on Texas counties, like writ large. Um, All of the compromises he's made in terms of rolling back regulation or pulling back on taxes or making big promises that he can't keep, the counties are the workhorses doing all of that, right? So when he throws a bomb at elections, it's the county election administrator that has to deal with that. And when he pledges to reduce property taxes, which the state really doesn't have a lot of power to do, and then makes the state and makes counties take on more burdens so that the state doesn't have to, then the county has to rise property, raise property taxes, right? And so all of the promises that he is making are being made on the backs of counties. Um, and, and so I think that it's, it is easy for local representatives to see the harms that come out of the policies that he is advocating. And I think that your, your podcast last week really spoke to that. Yeah, both men, in fact, are saying, you know, it's a matter of, of local control and, and the state has been pulling more control back to Austin instead of letting us have local control out in our communities. Local control used to be a hallmark of conservatism. And, 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 and you know, we've seen that erode somewhat, at least according to these men. And it's, it's just interesting to see that you're seeing this Republican infighting over that issue. I mean, it's not the sexiest issue. It's not a, an issue that's on a lot of voters' minds, but it's certainly on the minds of these local elected leaders. Right. And I, you know, I think that people forget that um, 
the Republican Party, while there have been some extreme folks elected recently, like the core of the Republican Party, especially in Texas, is still like fiscally conservative, local control. Like that is really the driving ethos for a lot of people. Like, of course, I'm not talking about like Briscoe Payne, right? But I am talking about Selinger and I'm talking about even Greg Abbott has like wisps of this still. And so I think that what I have noticed in the last couple of months when I talk to Republicans in private, right? When they're when I'm not going to put their name on something, they're like, oh yeah, Dan Patrick is really annoying and he's making my life really difficult. Hmm. But they're not saying that out loud. But I feel like the this might tip a little bit. I, I don't know if it'll be an, a, enough of a wave to actually have an impact on his election, but I'm hearing more and more Republicans become frustrated with the ways that his policies have sort of had a the opposite effect of what the Republican Party would have traditionally intended. We have, uh, you know, all this benefits Mike Collier, the Democratic nominee for lieutenant governor, who's running against Dan Patrick for the second time. He lost by five, what, 4.8 points, I believe, in 2018. Now he's looking for a rematch. Polls show it's about the same right now, five to six points out. Uh, but we interviewed him the other day. We're going to play a clip for uh for our listeners a little later in the podcast here, but he told us in the interview that he met with a dozen or so GOP officials. One of his uh, staff members said, no, we met with two dozen GOP officials um, quietly, obviously, over the last, uh, you know, the cycle of this campaign. Do you expect that we could see any more officials come out in support of Collier? Because he says that he met with these folks who, you know, Whitley and Seliger uh, a while ago. And he didn't know yeah. they were going to come out. No. And, I, you know, I think that his campaign has done a uniquely good job of reaching across the aisle in the way, in a way, obviously, Dan Patrick has no interest in doing. Um, and so I think that, that 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 speaks to, like, his understanding of the current field, right? He knows that there are Republicans that he can convince. Um, and he knows that there are Republicans that don't like Dan Patrick, right? Which like, I also know because they keep telling me. Um, and so I, I think that he is, he's, he's smartly sort of run a campaign that is very middle of the road and has actively reached out to the representatives in the districts that are most negatively impacted by the things that are happening because of Dan Patrick. And that's smart. Like that is a really smart thing to do um, because it, it it is true, right? Like counties, especially county elections offices, right? Given all of the changing elections have been absolutely ransacked and it, it's not a good situation in Texas counties right now. Like the job turnover is incredibly high. Property taxes obviously are incredibly high. Um, and this is all a direct result of the policies that he advocates. And so going directly to the local officials who are hearing complaints from their constituents about these policies is how you do that. And I, I think he's done a really good job. Yeah, it, yes, it, it, it's a strategy okay. that, that, that seems to be paying off for him, at least right now. But even with the GOP endorsements, Jessica, Dan Patrick still has millions of dollars more. He has, what, $25 million in the bank that he can, you know, get his message out on TV over the next 60 days. Uh, Mike Collier just doesn't have that advantage. Does, even with the GOP endorsements, I mean, he still has an uphill battle, to say the least. He's got an uphill battle, you know, but I I think that it's short-sighted to say if he loses, then the, the work that he's done to 
pull Republicans back from Dan Patrick would be lost, right? Like those Republicans who he's gotten on board with not being for Dan Patrick will continue to act in that way, right? And so even if Collier loses, which I think frankly is likely, right? Like the polling suggests that he's going to, I have no reason to believe that even with these endorsements, he'll like shoot that far ahead. I mean, maybe, I'm not saying it won't happen, but it it seems unlikely given the current polling and the current setup of government in Texas. But, you know, I think that if he if he has done as effective of a job at pulling Republicans back from Dan Patrick, as he said, then it may be that Dan Patrick has less power going into the next legislative season. And in that case, it, some of the the harms that he's been able to sort of carry out in these counties um, might not be as felt. But, in but the future. It, well, even even if he loses, as polls show that Mike Collier might might lose here, even if he loses, what's the significance then, do you think, of Republicans coming out publicly and saying these things? Does that indicate that, that Texas might be might have already reached its pendulum swing to the right and might be coming back to the center? You know what? I, I think it might be. I mean, I, I, I think that you know, a lot of things happened at once that I that I think that Texas voters weren't really prepared for, right? And I've been talking to a lot of people who who would can, it would tell you even today that they are very conservative Republicans, but the rate of change was so fast that I think they got a little bit of whiplash, right? Because all in a two year period, we had radical changes to elections. Donald Trump was out of office. Roe v. Wade was overturned, and the and Texas abortion rights went away, right? Like there was a lot of change very quickly. And I think it's left a lot of people feeling kind of raw. And so I I really do think that this might be sort of the apex. And another reason I think that is because, you know, Texas could have done the, oh, the 2020 election was stolen dance like Arizona did, right? Or, Or Georgia did, and it didn't, right? And Greg Abbott appointed John Scott to be Secretary of State, who is like fundamentally a moderate Republican and like conducted a pretty cogent and well-run recount to like satisfy everyone's concerns. He wrote a very detailed report that was like some small problems, no fraud, everybody calm down, right? Like there are elements of the Republican Party, including John Scott, including these people who have spoken out against Dan Patrick that are actively trying to bring down the temperature. And so I think that that tells me that maybe we are on the downswing. And I I don't know that that means that Democrats are going to start winning, but I do think that that means that Republicans are going to start being less radical in their in their speech and in their in their ability to to sort of shift policies around. You know, the Texas uh, Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin uh, in December of last year put together this uh, sort of construct where they were talking about negative partisanship, though, uh, and and negative partisanship basically, you know, for anyone who's listening, um, it's when your views against the other party are stronger than your views for the party that you're in. Yeah. They found that Democrats were split 50-50, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but then they looked at Republicans and found that the negative partisanship was about two thirds of Republicans here in Texas. So, uh, you know, basically they're saying there are two thirds of Republicans here don't like the the other party more than they like their own party. And, and so will vote accordingly. So I wonder if you're Dan Patrick or really any other Republican in power here, 
Do you worry too much about somebody going and voting for Mike Collier or, the, you know, the Democratic candidate when you know that a lot of your voters just can't stand the other party and you will be the lesser of the evil to them every time? You know, I mean, I, th- I think that you, you're on to something there, right? Like, I, I think that Texas is, you know, obviously this doesn't affect Dan Patrick because it's a statewide race, but like Texas is gerrymandered. Texas is very Republican. Texas is very anti-Democrat. Like, Texas is more anti-Democrat than it is Republican, which means that Republicans will stay in office, but it means also that Republicans are far less ideologically consistent. And so there's way more room for movement in the Republican Party than there is in the Democratic Party, because the Democrats in Texas have like, even if it's more conservative than your average Republican in some other state, right? Like they have a consistent set of beliefs that they try to govern with. I I think that it is entirely fair to say that in the last 10 years, Republicans have kind of lost the thread, right? Like people can be a Republican if they are a populist. People can be a Republican if they're a Trump supporter. People can be a Republican if they freaking hate Trump and they really wish John McCain had been president, right? Like these are all contained within the Republican Party. And so I think that even if the Republican Party doesn't start losing, the Republican Party is going to have to snap back to reality just a little bit in the next couple of years, or it's really going to start losing Texans. And I think that now that um, now that the that Texas is a young state, right? Texas is a it has a lot of you know, previous non-citizens that have become citizens, we're talking about a real big shift as Mm. boomers start to stop voting uh, for reasons. Um, And uh, as people grow into voting age, right? Like we're already seeing a generational shift in Texas. And so if the Republican Party is, is feeling like they have to move back on some of their most extreme positions right now, I think that 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 sort of sets the stage for for a leftward movement in the state, like slow and and comparatively not as left as other states. But, you know, Texas can't really get any farther right. So I guess the bigger threat then for somebody like a Dan Patrick in this case is not necessarily that all of your voters are going to go vote for Collier, uh, even though, you know, some Republicans are coming out in support of him. The bigger threat might be that your voters just skip that race or just don't show up to vote. Because, you know, the the drive to vote for someone is much more persuasive to a voter than the drive to vote against someone, right? Like, if you get busy on election day and you don't really care because you, like, don't love Dan Patrick, but you don't want to vote for Collier because he's a Democrat, the most likely outcome is that you don't vote. It's not that you go and vote for Collier or go and, like, spend your time voting for Dan Patrick. Like if you can't get excited about Dan Patrick, you're not going to go vote for him. And I think that that is what we saw, for example, in 2016, or I'm sorry, in 2020, right? There were a lot of Republicans that were just kind of sick of Donald Trump and his antics, right? And I think that Dan Patrick has gotten himself into that same position, right? He is extreme. He is obnoxious. He has made life very difficult for county officials. And you can only do that for so long before you start losing people who like have a job to do, right? Like the the county judge that you interviewed, like he has to get up every day and make Tarrant County operate. And he has to answer to his citizens if he doesn't. And he is increasingly unable to answer to his citizens because of policies that are being forced upon him by the state. And so that's not a very tenable position. And so I think, you know, 
it, it may be that Dan Patrick is polling well, but it's a lot easier to answer a poll than it is to go turn out and vote. And so that might, that lack of energy and enthusiasm might have some impact. Like, I'm not convinced that Dan Patrick is going to win, but I think that the election will be closer than the polls suggest. You think so? Closer than 2018? 20, yeah. yeah, 2018. I mean, that's my guess right now. Like, if I had $5, I'd put a bet down, but probably not more than that. <laughs> um, you know, the, the other thing that, that Mike Collier has made a point of uh, since he ran four years ago, and he's running right now, is that he's a former Republican. And, and his work as an accountant, he's around Republicans all day long. He has experience, you know, some experience with, with oil and gas, uh, too. How much of a role do you think that plays in him getting these meetings with Republican officials and him actually appealing to people with conservative values? I think it really plays a big role, right? I, I, I think it. You know, you can if you take a look at Florida, right, they, they've just the Democrats have picked Charlie Crist, who used to be a Republican. Right. And that's their pick to run against Ron DeSantis. Right. And so they're and, and in the same way that Biden, an extreme centrist who posed himself, I mean, even if he's not governed necessarily that way in his first at in his first term. He he presented himself as the central, like the centrist alternative to a very extreme candidate. And Charlie Crist is going to present himself as a former Republican running against a very extreme Republican. And Collier is trying to do the same thing. And frankly, it's a winning political strategy, right? This is not a state that has a ton of Democrats. Like, it's just not. Like, you've seen the polling. I've right. seen the polling. And so if you're not appealing to Republicans, you're not winning. And and so I think that his ability to play that role, to say, like, I'm a numbers guy and, and I work with Republicans and I used to be a Republican. I'm not a Republican anymore because, geez, have you seen this party lately? Right. That is a I think that's a mindset that a lot of people can identify with. And and especially in, you know, the more educated suburbs that have that are pulling away from the extreme wings of the Republican Party. That approach, I think, is is intelligent. Like it's it's a smart thing to say. I'm not that different from you. I just like can't do that anymore, but maybe you can't either. Like that it's a it's a smart political strategy. And I think he's he's taking a leaf from the playbook of Biden and Christ. And that's that's intelligent. Jessica, Jessica just for our listeners here yeah. uh, who may or may not be familiar with Vote Beat, um, you yeah. all uncover a lot of election issues, like uh, actual you know issues that affect the physical voting process and the security of elections and so forth. Um, and you all uh, have been expanding right now. You're in Texas, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Michigan. You're going to be in Wisconsin by the end of the year. Something that stuck out to me there is all of those other states you all are in are considered battleground states. So why Texas? What was it that made you all be drawn to Texas? You know what? Um, I so I'm from Texas. I love Texas. And I and I think and I wanted to live in Texas. And I know a lot about Texas. I've been covering voting in Texas forever. And and so it was close to my heart. And so when they brought me on to be editorial director, I asked if we could do Texas. And and I think my my thought is that Texas is a huge state, right? Like it's a gigantic state. It's about to be a swing state, even though it's not right now. And if we can get in and really understand the dynamics of this state before it goes purple, then we're going to be in a really good position to talk about 
the long-term changes that are happening in this state that's about to be incredibly consequential on the national level, right? Like Texas is already a really big deal in presidential politics, given how many electoral college votes we have. It's going to be insane when we're a swing state and both parties are running around trying to get our voters. Like, Mm. you know, it's going to be very different than campaigning in New Hampshire and very different than campaigning in Iowa. Like, this is a gigantic state. And so I'm just fascinated by the politics of this state. I think that the, you know, the the generational changes that are happening in Texas are going to bring about a lot of electoral changes. Um, And I just wanted to be here to watch it. And so that's why we're here. Hmm. Well, Jessica, you know, we have a, um, a beer on this podcast. We've convinced our bosses to let us uh, have a, a Texas craft beer. And, and I'm drawn to something on your, on your Twitter page, uh, which is the headline on there. And I just, this is my last question for you. Do, do you in fact drink boxed wine? I do. It is, <laughs> it is amazing and incredibly efficient. Uh, I, <laughs> that, so, uh, that was a unfortunate Twitter day that actually ended in a, in, in kind of a funny, so well, let's tell our let me tell our, our listeners here too. On your on your uh, Twitter page, Jessica Husman, H U S E M A M, the the, uh, the the banner photograph up there is a, a quote, and you're going to tell us who the quote is from. But it says, "When asked if she does in fact drink boxed wine, Husman replied, quote, like water." And <laughs> I cracked up when I saw that. But go ahead and tell us where this is from. So a few, like maybe six months ago, um, Dan Pat or not Dan Patrick, um, <laughs> Got Dan Patrick on the brain now. I do, yeah. Thanks, you've ruined me for this day. Um, so Steve Bannon, also a oh, super yeah. kind and interesting individual, obviously, um, has a little sidekick, um, and this person had tweeted something about the Bush-Gore 2000 election, which I quote tweeted and like politely corrected because it was incorrect, and that led to him calling me the C-word on Twitter 12 times. Oh, wow. Um, and media, like he like rant, and I like, this is, this is sort of par for the course for me. You know, like I cover, I'm a woman who covers voting on the internet, like mm. the, the you know, it's not a good, it's not a good place. Uh, but that, that was an extreme example of my treatment. And so media, I called and they were like, what's going on? And one of the things that he said, he like quote tweeted me and he was like, go back to your cats and your boxed wine. And I don't have a cat. I'm a tiny dog, uh, but I do drink boxed wine. And so they were like, do you have a cat? And I was like, I do not. And they were like, do you drink boxed wine? And I said, like water. And that was the quote. And I'm really proud of it, frankly. Like, you know, I, I Twitter is a fundamentally unserious place. And if oh you take gosh. it seriously, you're just asking for trouble. And so you know, you just got to lean into your bad habits. And my bad habit is that I really just do love a boxed wine. I do. Everybody has their vice. That quote you know? is epic though, Jessica. I love that. I, I would, I would show that off too. If, if someone quoted me on that one. Exactly. Exactly. And I removed, I had this great banner up there before that was like this hilarious email that I got from a FOIA and it said, hi, and then everything was redacted. And then it said, thanks. <laughs> 
And this is still better than that, I think. So. Uh, probably so, yeah. But, but both of those sound sound you know great. <laughs> you know, uh, we won't blame you at all for drinking that boxed wine either. Considering <laughs> you know, when you describe it out like this, and and you know the 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 hate that you receive there on Twitter just for doing a job, you know, that happens to do with elections, which you know are fundamental to democracy. By the way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Drink up. That's uh, it's unreal that people come at you that hard uh, on they Twitter. Do, and you, but you know what, though? They come at me a lot less hard than they come at election administrators. these yeah. days. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we're so, doing something on that, too. Oh, my goodness. It's so destructive to democracy. Um, and so I'm I'm happy to be covering it, even if it's terrible. Um, and, you know, I know that my treatment is comparatively less awful. Uh, Jessica, so we're going to have to that. we're going to have to have you back in the future to talk about 100%. the whole election uh, offices uh, thing yeah. and, and, and what we can expect going forward into the midterms and uh, and into 2024 as well, because there's been some interesting stuff going on there that you all have been reporting about. So we'll have to have you back to talk about that. And maybe for that episode, we will have boxed wine as well instead of a beer. Uh. In my honor. I'm so excited. Please. <laughs> Jessica, thank you. Thank you. This was fun. So some really good context there from Jessica Hoosman with VoteBeat. Uh, and now uh, we can sweeten the pot just a little bit here. So if Dan Patrick wants to come on to the podcast with us, I will either break out uh, the whiskey that I bought last week, or we could have boxed wine, Wh- whatever will get him on here with us uh, just to you know discuss this, uh, because these are rumblings we don't usually hear in state politics in this state. I, I love the boxed wine quote. That, that's one of the best quotes, one of the best just little <laughs> like nuggets we've had on here forever. That Mediaite is going to ask that question. Is it true? <laughs> yeah. Do you really have a cat? Do, do, do you drink boxed wine? Who the hell asked that question? Why would you ask that yeah. question as, as a journalist? But anyway, that that quote is almost as good. And, and, and I'm not being political here. That quote is almost as good as Judge Whitley's quote was last week yeah. when he talked about how he avoids uh, showing up at Dan Patrick campaign events by saying that he had to wash his cat. I had never heard that one before. <laughs> That's why I started giggling. It wasn't the whiskey. That's funny. I, I'm going to use that. Uh, that was pretty good. Yeah, you lost it in that in that. Uh... <laughs> that response last week. All right, so let's go out to Amarillo right now and talk to uh, State Senator Kel Seliger. And, and forgive me for the sawing in the background. You hear that, Wheeler? Can you what hear, is going on at can your you house? Hear the, you hear the sawing? Yes. My wife either wants to move or fix the bedroom. So we've had people fixing our bedroom and our bathroom for like three months now. <laughs> and we've been sleeping on the floor in our kids' room. Geez, uh, so she got her way for sure. She she gave you two things, yeah. and you had to choose the one that you uh, you know wanted the least right. or, or wanted the most out of the two. <laughs> I, I I don't want another mortgage, so I'm going to sleep on the floor for a for a while in my kids' room. Very effective, Mrs. Whiteley. But l- let's get back out to uh, to Amarillo and talk about State Senator Kyle Seliger. He's a Republican who has been in the state Senate, a fixture in the state Senate since 2004. Um, and he, before that, he was in local politics. He's been around for a while. But as we mentioned, there's no love lost between Kel Seliger, the Republican, and Dan Patrick, the Republican. The two agree on a lot of things, Seliger said. But personally, they just do not get along. And you can hear what he has to say about that in just a moment. But this isn't a surprise for other reasons to people who watch Texas politics. Kel Seliger, Senator Seliger, did not endorse Dan Patrick back in 2018 when Patrick ran for re-election. This time, Seliger says, I'm taking it a step further. Not only am I not going to endorse Dan Patrick, but I'm going to vote for Democrat Mike Collier 
in this race. We started the conversation with Senator Seliger there. Here's what he said. Senator, we appreciate you taking some time for us here. You did not endorse Dan Patrick in 2018. Now, four years later, you say you're going to vote for Democrat Mike Collier. Tell us how you arrived at this decision. Well, first of all, Dan Patrick didn't endorse me in 2018. And I was also a Republican running for re-election. And uh, I, I'm voting for Mike Collier, partly for Texas and partly for the Texas Senate. And the, the more and more, uh, the the Republican Party has getting been getting more and more extreme in the state of Texas. And we need somebody in that office who's going to represent all the people of the state of Texas, regardless of their character, their color or personal philosophy or things like that. Um, we need to be far more inclusive and we need to get back to real conservatism, not just talking about conservatism. When you pay $20 million to buy something called the Texas State Gold Bullion Depository and the state of Texas has no gold bullion, a measure which Dan Patrick supported, that's not conservative. When you take away, when you're opposed to things like local control, that's not conservative. When you work to undermine public schools by taking money that would go to public schools and give them to private schools, that is not conservative. On the Senate side, uh, the Republican caucus on, on in the state Senate works under threats of demotion. And if they differ from the lieutenant governor's viewpoints, they are penalized. And, and, and vindictiveness is not an element of leadership. You know, Senator, a, a lot of people might look at this and say, listen, you're not running for re-election. It's easy for you to say this stuff now. But, but you were publicly sparring with the lieutenant governor uh, for several years over things. In 2017, the lieutenant governor made big pronouncement that he had 30 priorities, 30 legislative priorities. No other lieutenant governor had really done something like that. I voted against two of them. And for that, I lost my chairmanship and I lost membership on things like the finance committee, which was a real slap in the face to the people in, in West Texas. And um, that's the way the Senate runs. On the right, you're, you know you're going to hear from fellow uh, conservatives. I'm sure you already have. Who's you know going to question your Republican credentials? Uh, what do you say to them? Are you still politically conservative? I've been a Republican. I've always been a Republican. I've always been a conservative. But that does not have, carry with it the obligation to meet other people's standards of conservative. It is a huge big government measure to take away from cities the right to regulate the number of chickens that people keep in their backyards, a bill that Dan Patrick supported. That is huge government. That's not up to the state of Texas. It's up to local city councils. And if people don't like it, they get a new city council. By making this public statement saying you're going to vote for Mike Collier, you're obviously sending a message. What specifically do you want that message to be to Texans? That we need to, as we become more and more diverse in the state of Texas, our leadership needs to adapt to that diversity and, and, and try to represent all of the people in the state of Texas, even the ones with whom we have philosophical disagreements. And I think that's, that's very important. Dan Patrick is an extremist. And some of the things that he is very, very intent about, I share those feelings. 
and some of them I don't. And uh, I think we need to get back to, to good, moderate leadership that represents all the people of the state of Texas. Senator, we appreciate you taking some time this morning. Thank you for having me. Okay, so as you said there, uh, Jason, uh, West Texans are a different breed. Right. They do not pull any punches. They lay it out there. It's, you know, it's rugged country. You know, you don't have time. It's it's too hot. You know, you don't have time to be flowery. You, you, you lay it out there and you let it be known what you think. And he certainly did that. Yeah, indeed so. And it, the, the person who benefits from all this, the person we haven't talked to, the person I, I haven't seen really quoted in all this coverage over the last week is Democrat Mike Collier. He's on the receiving Mm -hmm. end of all these glowing headlines about two Republicans coming out in support of him rather than their own party member, Dan Patrick. So we uh, reached out to Mike Collier and Mike Collier agreed to come in studio just in case you're picking up 30 minutes into this podcast here. We did call Dan Patrick. Dan Patrick's campaign manager said, hey, listen, he doesn't have time on the schedule this week. So we had Collier in. And the very first question I had for Collier is, does all of this represent anything more than just two disgruntled Republicans, Kel Seliger, the senator from Amarillo, and Glenn Whitley, the Tarrant County judge? Here's what Mike Collier had to say. Mike, good morning to you. Does this represent, with Kel Seliger and Glenn Whitley, does this represent anything more than just two disgruntled Republicans? Oh, I think so. I think so. I mean, uh, you know, Jason, I've been running around the state now for quite a long time. And when I travel the state, I talk to Democrats, of course, but I also talk to independents. I also talk to Republicans. I've got a lot of Republicans in my personal life, in my professional life. And I've spoken to those guys many times. No, I think they're concerned about the direction of the state. You know, the lieutenant governor has outsized influence on where we go as a state, and we are not headed in the right place. For example, Glenn Whitley is very concerned about property taxes. He's very concerned about local control. He ought to be. So am I. How many Republican elected officials have agreed to meet with you since you started the campaign? Oh, I suppose about a dozen. Yeah, I suppose about a dozen. And, and what has uh, the reaction been? And uh, th- These guys are in office. It could be dangerous meeting with a Democrat like you. Well, sometimes it's okay to be seen walking into their office. Sometimes we meet someplace else so that really? nobody can see. Yeah, that, just, that happens. You know, but I think, you know, these are elected officials and they have constituents they're concerned about. They really, I think, partisan politics makes life difficult for them. I mean, they're just trying to make sure that we got good roads, make sure that you got you know law enforcement to make sure the budget makes sense. And they they hear me come around and we just talk about the numbers and what's it take to have good policy in the state. They, they seem very welcoming to me. A dozen Republican elected officials. Does that, that surprise you that they took your meeting, that they said, you yeah, no. we'd like to meet with you? No, no, it doesn't at all. Well, like I say, I mean, I've been running around the state for a long time, and I talk to Democrats and Republicans and independents. In my professional life in the energy industry, I talk to Republicans all day long. And it's very refreshing for me, I can tell you, as the candidate, because we roll up our sleeves and we talk about policy and what makes this state work, what do we need to do different. It gives me a great sense of confidence that if I'm honored to be the lieutenant governor, then we can roll up our sleeves and not make everything partisan warfare, but just, and some of these problems that we have to solve are complicated. Fixing the damn grid is not simple stuff. And it's good to have friends and we talk about these things. I've said that many times over many years. Let's take the politics out of it and just talk about policy. It's challenging to do that in today's environment. But when you have folks on the other side of the aisle, and I'm not sure this is, I'm not aware of this ever happening before. I don't think it's happening around the country, but it's happening here. And you have folks on the other side of the aisle saying, I know him, I've met with him, I agree with him on many things. That helps me a lot. Well, what role will Seliger or Whitley play 
in your campaign, if at all? Will they appear on mailers and ads, write you a check? Do you think they'll have any role at all? Well, I don't expect them to write any checks. I have to do all that work myself. Uh, we'll see. Uh, you know, I think, they, I think they have a strong desire to see me win this race. And they have their networks. And, uh, and I'm not going to make them part of the team. You know, we're not going to have a daily conference call. I'm not going to ask them to do X or Y or Z. But I would say this. They are sufficiently enthused to come out publicly. And I think now they want me to win. And I suspect that they'll help. And I hope they do. Mike, thank you very much. Thank you, Jason. And now we wait. Uh, All of these ingredients just kind of sit in there and ferment. And we've got two months, uh, almost two months, uh, before we hit election day here. Does this start to percolate? Does this start to get into people's minds? Does this start to make them think, well, if they feel that way, you know, maybe I do too. Or do they think if they feel that way, I definitely don't feel the way they do. It'll be interesting to see how this goes. It'll also be interesting to see Is this a drip, drip, drip? Are we going to see more Republicans come out and have something to say about this race in particular or maybe even other races? You know, sometimes these things create a momentum that can't be predicted. Yeah, we're less than two months out, Wheeler. Yeah, Yeah, I said almost. That's what that means. Oh, oh, my, that's my bad. My, I, let's cut that correction out. Can we edit that out, that, that correction? Because Wheeler does not like to get corrected. <laughs> no, for let's anything. leave it in there. Oh, yeah, well, we leave it in? Because then we have the correction to the correction. <laughs> <laughs> at, at the end of the day here, uh, you know, it, it, what's going to be fascinating to watch to see is if indeed anyone else comes out and, and backs Mike Collier. Any other Republicans come out. And I asked, the Collier, I asked Collier and Collier's team, do you expect anybody else to come out? They said, we didn't expect these two guys to come out. We met with them mm. weeks and weeks ago. We didn't know they were going to come out and say this. They just kind of mm. dropped this thing on all of us. They dropped the first one on Yolitics here. So we don't know if anyone else is coming out. And then I said, well, how many, how many people did you guys meet with? And Mike Collier said, well, we met with about a dozen Republican mm. officials. And then his campaign manager uh, said, no, no, no. It was closer to two dozen Republican mm. officials who took that meeting with us. So we very well could see another Republican or two maybe come out in support of uh, Mike Collier. But at the end of the day, what does this mean in less than 60 days to the election? Does it give other Republicans permission to vote for Mike Collier, who used to be a Republican? Or is this a race they just skip as they go on down the ballot? And as we sign off uh, for one more week, I will put it out there this uh, since we're you know throwing out invitations today. If you are uh, in a party, it doesn't matter which one, if you are in a party and you hold elected office, especially if you plan to continue to hold elected office and you're ready to go endorse a candidate from the other party, uh, do it on Yolitics. Reach out to us and uh, we'll get something started all over again. I think it's fascinating uh, to see what's happening here. And, And so we'd love to be the forum for that. And for those elected officials, Wheeler might even share his whiskey with you i'll tell you this i don't know if i have enough to go around for everybody well how many do you expect i don't know <laughs> how many we'll see man <laughs> wheeler is very it's a weird protective. year man yeah he, he's he's a real guardian on on his thing so uh don't correct him don't try to take what's his that's the only <laughs> advice i would leave you with here today thanks so much for listening as always uh we'll see you next week that's good all right